the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track in your browser, register, get 40% off that first year, download the app, personalize it, tell them that you love football, tell them that you love college football, because that's what we're covering today on the Spot Track Podcast. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Chinetti. It's Monday. I waited a little bit longer today. I wanted to make sure I got that Sunday night football game under my belt and a full assessment of week one outside of Denver, Seattle, which is going to be fun tonight. Uh, as mentioned, I'm going to run uh, like an eight pack of conversations here. Starting with college football, I, I just want to talk briefly about some of this coaching stuff um, because you're hearing buyouts, you're hearing contract extensions, you're hearing ridiculous numbers thrown out there in terms of finances. And I just want to kind of I selfishly, I wanted to read into it more. I don't do enough of it. So I wanted to learn the numbers and the buyout situations. And I'm going to convey that message over to you today with uh, notably some of the SEC and Big Ten stuff because it's pretty bonkers. We had a guy get axed yesterday and the buyout situation was nuts. I, I, I can't wait to tell you this one if you don't know that story yet. But we've also had $115 million contract extensions in the past couple of days. So the the, the money's just not slowing down. And then I have a, a couple of thoughts on where college football may be heading maybe in my head only, but I would absolutely love it to get to where I'm about to tell you. So that's first. Then a couple of new contract extensions, the NFL to break down, a couple of tight ends, and uh, Quentin Nelson's big boy with the Colts. Just some quick thoughts on that in terms of what is good and what is not so good. And then new players on new teams and or with new contracts. How they looked in week one, how it's all looking in terms of team construction and and just immediate overreaction assessments to big-time contracts or big-time moves this offseason. And then, of course, Lamar Jackson at the end because we have some clarity, and at the very same time, we know absolutely nothing. So just some quick thoughts on where that may be headed over the next few months as well. Hope you enjoy it. All right, I don't do this too often, but I want to touch base on uh, college coaching salaries, contracts, buyouts, the works. It's, uh, it's a fascinating deep dive. It pops up on Twitter every now and then. You know, it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell situation until something goes terribly wrong. And as you might expect, a couple of weeks now into the season, there are some coaches that are under fire in this regard. There's no question about it. Certainly Jimbo Fisher with that Texas saying, I'm lost to Appalachian State. Nick Saban had a, a hell of a game there against Texas. He's coming on a brand new contract extension. We've got new, new deals for Dabo Sweeney. Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Ryan Day, and I'm missing 15. But if I'm just looking at the top of this list, I just want to rail these numbers up because they're, it's staggering. And, and you can say that it's ho-hum, this is just how it's going to be. That's fine. But I, it's just fascinating how we can complain about the nil. And look, it's, that's the wild, wild west. That's going to have to get reined in a little bit. But these college coaches are basically just influencers. <laughs> I mean. I mean, the money that they're pouring in on an annual weekly basis here is about what, she, you know, what the top Instagram models get at this point in time. Truly, Dabo Sweeney just signed a $115 million contract through 2031. The buyout's about half. There's all these stipulations. Uh, you know, pretty much every win, he gets extra money. Any conference win, extra money. Certainly inside the playoffs and things like that, major, major extra money. I, I love his specifically because there are some really, he's had some nuggets in the past in his contracts that kind of carried through to this one. 
If he leaves for Alabama, and by the way, that's not inconceivable, which I'll get to in a second. If he leaves for Alabama at any point in time during this contract, which is another nine years, the buyout is cut in half immediately. (laughs) There's an Alabama clause built into it, which I love. If he leaves for the NFL, which again, very possible. I don't know why he would do it at this point in his career, but possible. No buyout, which is hysterical because there's no way he's getting this money in the NFL. None. The $100 million coaches in in the NFL are gone, and they left with John Gruden's corpse. So, yeah, you're taking a major pay cut to go to a league that's way harder. Way harder. Um, So that's Dabo Sweeney. Kirby Smart in Georgia, how do you even argue it? I mean, he's third fiddle in that conference, has the best team in the nation right now, had it last year, won the the damn thing. I mean, it's hard to argue that what he's done. And by the way, they pump some serious NFL talent. Yes, Alabama does too, but Georgia puts quarterbacks out there. And when you're putting quarterbacks into the NFL and those guys are are major faces on Sunday, there's just something to that. And I think that's an instant draw for a lot of these players. And, And whether or not Kirby Smart's a great coach is not for me to sit here and assess, but I can tell you right now that Georgia football, at least offensively and certainly on the defensive line, translates to Sunday football. So I've got no qualms about these guys getting the money they're getting. Jimbo Fisher's third with a $95 million contract. And what's unique about this is this was sort of like an early NBA contract where John Wall was already getting paid. And then the the Wizards basically said, eh, we might as well just pay him again in the middle of his current contract. Jimbo basically got an extension on an extension that doubled his buyout. So the, the fascinating part about his contract isn't that it's 95 million through 2031. I mean, it is now after the loss they just suffered, but it's that that's basically his buyout right now as well. It's basically a fully guaranteed contract if they fire him tomorrow. That's bonkers. I mean, that is bonkers. That is the level that second tier SEC football has gotten to, right? That's Texas A&M is not going to be one of your top, top, top teams. And by the way, you know, they're in a conference that's only going to get stronger, right? I mean, Texas coming over, big time teams coming over. The reshuffling isn't done just yet, even though some of the new rules may slow it down quite a bit. Brian Kelly, brand new $95 million contract, leaves Notre Dame for LSU. Ugly start and not saying the right thing. So if, 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 I'm comparing these guys to influencers and popularity contests, and which is what it is. It's a recruiting process. Yeah, these guys go out and put in a hell of a lot of work with X's and O's and sideline and, and in some degree babysitting too, right? But I think 75% of this job is just saying the right things, being kind of a dick about it, right? I mean, you got you to gotta be able to hold your own. You got to be able to sit in living rooms and be smooth talkers, but also prove that you're a big enough asshole, right, to be able to handle SEC football. And I get it. I think Brian Kelly's got one of those markers ticked off, but I'm not sure he's the smooth-talking guy that LSU needs to get some of the serious serious talent in there with the ridiculous recruiting competition he's going to be facing over the next five years. I could be wrong. And there's some players, obviously, that that go through that that system that just uh, by default are going to play on Sundays. But Again, massive buyout on our new contract, $95 million in total for nine more years. Mel Tucker in Michigan State, I just like the fit. 
and I think they do too. I think they understand that, well, where they are right now in that system. That may be a system that's going down, not up. Um, and that's really the whole Big Ten right now with, outside of Ohio State. Speaking of which, Ryan Day is signing short contracts in Ohio State. Now, he's locked in through 2028, but he's kind of doing the LeBron James. Every, every couple of years, just tack on a couple more, which raises his AAV, it raises his buyout, it raises his incentives and things like that. I, I love that structure. But to me, that's a, that's a guy that's screaming, I'm going to be in the NFL eventually. That's what it says to me. And I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know where he has his eyes set on it. Maybe he doesn't even know yet. He's just waiting for that opportunity to come. But he's a $9.5 million coach now, as he should be, which is third on this list, tied for third. Um, look, in, in terms of average pay, Saban's still the king at 11-7. And I don't even know how anybody argues that. Nick Saban is signed through 2030. At just under $100 million, but that's without, obviously, the playoff bonuses and things built in. He's going to be 78 years old when that contract's done. Do we really think that's going to be a thing? I, I don't know. I mean, he can't take many more days like he just had this weekend. Let's, let's put it that way. But $11.7 million per year on average when, when you factor in the, the talent bonuses and things like that. He's still the king. Dabble Swinney's second out $11.5 million on that new contract. You got Jimbo at 9.5. You got day at nine and a half. There's quite a few, you know, that nine to nine and a half is like that second tier elite in terms of the new contract pay. And then you still got your James Franklin's and and, and your Mel Tucker's down in the sevens and the eights, Brian Kelly as well. That's just the going rate. It's the going rate now for top power five conference or whatever, power two conference college coaches. And they're doing it every two years. You know, I, I track a lot of this data on spot track now. This is, to me, the biggest comp in terms of where, how these coaching contracts are structured and paid out and how fluid they are reminds me of the English Premier League soccer team. These guys get new contracts almost every single year. So I, I do all the work to find the weekly wage in, in year one. By the end of that year, the whole thing's ripped up. It's a brand new five-year contract, and they're on a new weekly wage with different bonuses and different buyouts and transfer fees and things like that. That's kind of the market that we're in here. And oh, by the way, I would absolutely kill for college football to have the English Premier League structure with relegation and promotion and all that works. Because you want to start talking about money and big business. You want to bring eyeballs back to college football if this thing starts to slip because of all the restructuring and the loss of the rivalries and blah, blah, blah. I think that that market alone, and by the way, it would have to separate itself completely from the college programs, right? It would have to be its own entity to do this. But I think there's a real chance that that would be the best approach to all of this because I know, you know, Vanderbilt being in the SEC, what are we doing? You know, at some point in time, they should be relegated. They're, they're just kind of cashing in on being a part of that program. It's a great school. Just saying in the grand scheme of the football landscape, that would be a team that would be kind of bouncing back and forth, right? That would be your Burnleys or your Brentfords. But what happens if a Manchester United is having a terrible start to the season? And they're at the bottom or near the relegation line. What if that was Alabama or Texas A&M right now? I just think it would be an unprecedented switch in, in American sports. But and the NFL is never going to do it. Never. They're never going to have the infrastructure. They don't even want the minor league system. They keep punting. You know, they have no affiliations with the XFL and the AF and all that stuff. That's where you start if, you, if relegation and promotion were going to be a possibility in your near future. So they have clearly said no. Baseball probably doesn't have the money to do it. 
but they did they do have the infrastructure with the minor league system that they're slowly torching every year. Basketball, it's possible for a lot of reasons. Certainly the G League and, and some of those smaller leagues, uh, you know, the academies and all that are are helping that middle ground, whether that's taken away from college basketball or not as a different conversation. But I do think that the savviness, the money, the the willingness to, to kind of be different and forefront, you know, they're gonna they're gonna do this in season tournament. That sounds like it's a, it's gonna happen. I'm not really sure why outside of just it being a nice gimmick but it's going to happen do we get to a point where you know the oklahoma city thunder are in relegation mode i don't know we're such a long way from that but this structure could do it this new realigned restructured college football that doesn't give a shit about bowls anymore they just want to be all in every game matters the most that is premier league soccer every week and I just, you know, my team's, I'm a Chelsea guy, just to put that out there. Okay. They were a top four team, still are. Fired their coach after three weeks because the performance on the field just absolutely wasn't worth it. Now they're playing in various, you know, they're not just playing in league games, they're playing in a bunch of championship games and tournament games. So there were a lot more reasons to look at this and say, that guy's a problem. We got to get rid of him. But that is the intensity that this Power Five programs are putting forth every week. That's why one loss for Jimbo Fisher gets everybody talking about a buyout, a 90 million plus buyout. Last thing, Scott Frost got axed from Nebraska. This is how rich college football remains. Nebraska's Nebraska, bottom of the Big Ten. Barely belongs there. Should, should never have left in the first place. They fired this guy, rightfully so, probably a year late at least. I mean, he just wasn't able to handle it. <laughs> the buyout was $15 million. If they had waited 18 days, October 1st, it would have been $7.5 million. And everybody knew it. The world knew it. And everybody was saying, all right, they're going to fire him October 2nd because that's just good business. They'll deal with the next couple of weeks and hopefully they can you know, get a win here and there and kind of you know, somewhat salvage the season. Well, they lost again. Poorly to an FC. I mean, just the worst. And the basically the you know the president and and the AD basically looked at each other and said, "We can't let this continue. We're we're doing a disservice to our players, to the rest of the staff, yada yada yada, just to keep this guy around. We have to do something and be accountable in some way. And that accountability was an extra seven and a half million dollars. That's what it meant. That's where we are. So the money's stupid." The importance of every week is stupid. Let's get relegation promotion into this thing. Let's do it. Let's go all in on formalizing what could be. I mean, because you do that college football and you might become the best, the best ticket in town anywhere. It might become the most must-see situation possible. Now, look, it could be chalky for a while. You know, your best teams might remain your best teams. Your Vanderbilts and your Rutgers may get relegated, you know, Every three years, back and forth, up and down, up and down. There are certainly phases of Premier League where that is the case, where the great stay great, the bad just kind of bounce back and forth, up and down, and there's a bunch of teams in the middle who do just enough to be 500 and stay afloat. It might look like that every now and then, but like I said, the one year that Penn State is 0-6, or Alabama goes 2-4 and out of the gate, and the, and the 
national t- consensus is, holy crap, Nick Saban might get relegated. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And as, as a soccer follower, when you have those moments, even if it's for a couple of months, it just drives so many eyeballs to watch this stuff. You want to watch the bad, which is crazy. But I'm telling you, that could be the next level for college football. The money's already there. That's for darn sure. All right, let's switch to the NFL. A couple of new contracts came in. Nothing crazy. Darren Waller got his, uh, his new deal with the Raiders. Drew Rosenhaus hopped in there and kind of cleaned things up. Yeah. He threw me a couple of comments about the deal, and he certainly was, was pretty public-facing about the difficulty of this contract restructure. Um, and, and based on two things, A, he, ne- he, hasn't, <laughs> he didn't really leak the guarantees. He did leak the, the overall AAV, which is $17 million, which is the highest in tight end history. But you could tell that, not that he was disappointed with it, but he was getting into a situation where the Raiders did not want to do this deal. And if the way that I look at the structure of it, and I'll break it down here in a second, and reading the tea leaves of what he said to me and has said out loud to a couple of the networks, it sounds like this was more of a, we're paying you for what you've done, we're not paying you for where we're going with you. And the reason I say that is, is if you look at, at his contract, new and old, on Track, he had two years, $14 million left on the, on the previous deal. So he was signed through 2031. At, that's his age 31 year. The new deal, yes, it's five years total, 64 and change total, but it's still a two-year deal in terms of practicality. It's two years now, 24.3. So he got an extra $10 million, basically fully guaranteed over the next two years, and then it's a we'll see. So there's no more stability here. There's more cash, which you knew Rosenhaus was going to get him. But there's no more stability here. And my, my thinking is, this is one of those positions that the Raiders are simply going to put, pull back on a little bit. I mean, they certainly overpaid Adams. They, they gave Renfro a nice deal. They put Carr in where he belongs, financially speaking, and they paid Crosby and uh, Chandler Jones on a big free agent contract. There's some secondary stuff that they're going to have to take care of in the next year, and a, year or two. But they are... You can see that they're trimming their losses here, that they are identifying situations that they're just not going to go over on. And, you know, Rosen, I'll squeeze an extra 10 million out of here. Again, I think it's a good faith gesture for what Waller has done. He's been markedly underpaid for three straight seasons here at least. So, like I said, I think this is paying for past services, not so much for what he can do for them, certainly not 24 and on. But, you know, this guy gets back into the fold. He's going to be a a problem. There's no question about it. I mean, he, he's had issues. He, he missed six games last year. There's a bit of an injury bug right now to start the season, but that Raiders offense has some things going on. So he's going to be a factor. I just don't think he got any more stability out of this new contract. In Buffalo, Dawson Knox, another tight end, got a new deal. Kind of surprising uh, from my regard. He was a lock franchise tag candidate for me. Now that can switch to a Tremaine Edmonds or maybe a a Devin Singletary. Uh, and in both cases, by the way, maybe not franchise tags. Both those guys, you know, an off-ball linebacker and a running back, probably in the market for transition tags, if anything. But now with Knox out of the equation, those two guys become the forefront of that. So Dawson Knox get a, gets a nice extension. It's, like a, it's a number seven AAV, number seven guarantees in terms of tight ends. Actually eighth now when you factor in Waller. So it's about where he should be for a young guy. Um, 26 years old, 25 going on 26 here. Gets about 20 million guaranteed at sign. He'll see 31 million of this over the next three years. So 
if you're talking a little over 10 million a year for a guy who's got a hell of a relationship with the quarterback who's going nowhere, is going to be a factor in the running game, things like that. You know, he's not going to go out there and catch 75 balls. That's not the kind of guy he is, nor is this the offense that's going to do that. It's going to be a spread offense. You know, Isaiah McKenzie might catch as many balls as Dawson Knox on an annual basis. But like I said, if, you t- if you're talking 31 over three, got some cap flexibility, can restructure that third year as needed. It's, uh, it's absolutely really, and it's just Brandon Bean saying, let's just do this. Let's do this now. He wants to be here. Our quarterback certainly wants him here. Let's not deal with franchise tags and possible fractured relationships in that regard. And like I said, it opens up that tag situation for a couple of guys who I think they want to keep at least one more year and don't want to break the bank to do it. So one more Bills note here, Jordan Poyer, who, boy, it's been a few months of this going back and forth. And I know locally here, a lot of trade concerns, a lot of, a lot of holdout concerns with him because he wasn't happy with his contract. At the end of the day, no new contract, no restructure. All they did is bump up his incentives. So he had, he had a half a million dollars worth of incentives before this. They bumped that up to two million. And again, his agents, Drew Rosenhaus, he was able to confirm to me that none of these incentives are likely to be earned. So if we're talking about the salary cap, no change at all. No up, no down change. He's just got a chance if the Bills, you know, make a deep postseason run based on interceptions, things like that. He can jack up his money from 6.7 million, probably up to close to 9 million here. So it's a good face situation again. Uh, I think Bills fans a lot, you know, across the world here are happy that Poyer is at least for a few months here willing to deal with it this way. But look out because pending free agent Jordan Poyer, expiring contract Micah Hyatt. Bills may have to flip this thing on the fly in terms of their safety situation in the secondary. Now, you know, their cornerback situation's in good shape, but you got two 31 going on 32-year-old safeties who are in need of contracts, and that's something to watch here when you're talking about the longevity of this Bills contention window. And one more contract to talk about here. I don't have many details, very, very rudimentary details, actually, but this is the contract we always thought was coming. Quentin Nelson the superstar guard, number six overall pick back in 2018 for the Colts, locks in four for 80, we think. 60 million of that guaranteed, we think. That's all we know. I'll have more information hopefully in the next 24 hours. But those are exactly the numbers we thought were coming. We, we assumed this was going to be a guy to break that $20 million cherry for guards. It's, it's way ahead of where any other guard has ever been. I mean, we're talking three and a half million on average, more than Brandon Scherf's 16 and a half million. Um, but this is where we thought it was going to be based on where he was drafted, his, his advanced met metrics. Everything was in his favor to do this. So we'll see what this thing looks like at the end of the day. If it's 60 guaranteed on 20 a year, maybe it's three and a half guaranteed in terms of the years. But, uh, you know, we're talking five years, $73 million here. So it's a big, big, big chunk of change. Excuse me, five years, $93 million here. So it's a big chunk of change. And again, those are exactly the numbers we expected. We just got to see if it's how much of it is actually for real and how much of that 60 is guaranteed at signing. All right. And last but not least today, I'm going to use a great ranking list from our friends at fantasy pros, fantasypros.com. Something I use almost every single day, by the way, for my leagues, for my game day breakdowns, keeping up on with the ridiculous minutia. They basically have a red zone for fantasy users. If you guys care about stuff like that. Players that changed teams and or signed massive contracts this year and how week one went. 
the immediate assessment of new team or new contract players. Um, Carson Wentz. Look, they didn't look great. And I don't think they're good. I think Jacksonville lost that game more than Washington won it. But Carson Wentz, we have to remind ourselves because he wasn't awful last year. In fact, the, the TD to INT ratio was good last year. All we remember is the last INT. He just makes dumb decisions. And I think that's just who he is. You know, I think he's going to be three touchdowns, two interceptions, or four and two like he was yesterday. I think that's kind of the guy he is. He certainly has the arm and the talent to make big plays and certainly find the end zone with his arm. He's just going to make two or three bonehead plays every week. So if you can rely on that, and if that's an upgrade, and by the way, it is. I mean, this is an upgrade from Taylor Heineke. There's no question about it. So I got to give him credit, even though I hated the trade. I hated what they gave up for him. I hated that they're still paying him his money. But there's no question he's an upgrade. So if they can sneak out wins like this, then good for Washington, I guess. Good for Washington. Jameis Winston. They brought him back last minute. I think they were waiting for the injury to kind of show its face and make sure he could heal from it. He's a competent quarterback. I don't love this team at all. You know, I don't believe in Taysom Hill doing what he did yesterday on a weekly basis. I feel like they're not even utilizing Elvin Kamara anymore. Was that a Drew Brees thing only? You know, no other quarterback or or offensive scheme is going to build him in and make him a McCaffrey type. I don't know what they're doing there. Thomas is coming back slowly. Olave had a nice little start. And the defense was, yeah, right? I mean, they gave up a hell of a lot of, of yardage and points to the Falcons. So I don't love this team. But Jameis is competent. And there's a little bit Carson Wentz there, right? I mean, he's going to throw four and two. So I, I put these two guys in the same boat. And, you know, they're both kind of guaranteed about the same amount of money. So I would expect them to both look and feel and smell about the same kind of players the entirety of this, of this offseason. Kyler Murray. Boy, I, I didn't want to kill the contract when it happened because I don't want to kill number one overall picks from getting top-of-the-market contracts. That's just how this stuff has always worked. So for me to sit here and say, that should never have happened, I just know better at this point. It's been almost 15 years of doing this. I just know that if you got a guy and it's that position and he can you know, win some games with his legs, certainly has the arm ability, I, I just think he's going to make dumb decisions. I think he's a more talented Carson Wentz with you know, the ability to run the ball too. Guys, he's locked in for six years, $219 million or something like that. When you talk about early guarantees and things like that, this guy's going nowhere, nowhere. I mean, he's more locked in than Russell Wills, anybody, anybody not named Patrick Mahomes. It's him next. He has the second most stable contract, and that includes Watson, who's got only five more years here. That includes Watson. He's got the second most stable contract in the entire NFL, and that team's bad. And they lost. Too, they had way too many subtractions on defense. Obviously, the Hopkins absence is hurting Murray right now. But it's a bad team. And he's going to have to really put this thing on his shoulders and live up to, start to live up to this contract because they paid him to be not only the facilitator of this offense, but the leader of this offense. He's got to look a hell of a lot more like Lamar Jackson does when his team is down and out a little bit, which is, put it on me, guys. I got this. We haven't seen that Kyler Murray yet. We've seen a guy who can run an offense, make some special plays, and at times make some pretty dumb plays too. But 
that contract is going to scare me more and more because I don't think this is a good team. And if it's a bad team, and oh, by the way, if that means coaching change, speaking of former college coaches who got overpaid and then fired, if it's a coaching change coming, which it very well could be, we're starting at square one with this guy locked in for six more years. So terrifying. Uh, Devontae Adams, just incredible. I mean, it looks like him and Derek Carr haven't skipped a beat with seven or eight years off here. Really good stuff. I'm excited for that. And I'm glad Derek Carr finally has a true number one here. True. So uh, just outstanding stuff there. Marcus Mariota. The Saints were weird. The Falcons were weird. And the Falcons, Falcons in the end. I just love these kind of stories. I was really rooting for Baker to win yesterday because, and I'm happy Trubisky did, even though he really didn't factor. I just, I hate that the quarterback position has become, you get three years to figure it out. And then it's either you're getting a hundred million guaranteed or we're cutting you off. You're done forever. I, I don't want it to be the case. And it's moving more and more in that direction. Mariota just keeps coming back at this thing. And by the way, him and Winston are kind of attached to the hip here in that regard. He's a starting quarterback. He's not a franchise quarterback. He's not your eight-year guy, but he's a, he's a starting quarterback. And he's the perfect quarterback for this situation, I think. Now, he may win a couple extra games and hurt them from a draft perspective. And I think if that starts happening, you just go to, go to Ritter and <laughs> kind of deal with it that way. But he's a, certainly a competent quarterback. He can still do a lot of things with his feet. It's just good to see that these guys get their second chances. That's all I'm saying. Now, I'm not rooting for him. I'm not trying to put this guy into his next contract already. But it was good to see Baker do some good things. It was good to see Trubisky and Mariota do some good things. Hopefully that continues more than not over the next 16 weeks. A.J. Brown, maybe the best debut ever for a new team. Like 155 yards, 10 catches, just instant, instant chemistry with Jalen Hurts. Again, the team was weird. I think there was just a lot of weirdness in weird week one. I'm not going to overthink too much of that. Um, they certainly let those lines back into that game. But Jalen Hurts did enough to prove to me that he is where he is, right? I think he's a top five fantasy player. And I think he's going to be, boy, do I say this? Is he a more competent Kyler Murray? I think he could be a more competent Kyler Murray. I think there's a chance that they have built an offense around him. Well, four running backs two good tight ends, certainly the offensive line that far surpasses Arizona's. But they put him in a situation where not only can he succeed how they want him to, but when things break down and he has to just be a guy, he can do that with a level of security that I think Kyler certainly doesn't have right now, whether that's an internal thing or whether that's just the guys around him are going to be there to take care of him in the end of the day. I like that situation a hell of a lot more than Arizona and Jalen doesn't have his contract yet. So if I'm just overreacting about one week, AJ Brown is a big step forward for having the guy to make Jalen a more traditional pocket passer, which is what you're trying to do here. Just from a safety perspective, right? You want to see those, those simple passing yards increase this year so that when he, when things break down, it's more random, you know, similar to Josh Allen and Buffalo. It's more random. It does throw some teams off and then it makes them, have to account for everything. The traditional tosses, the deep threats with Brown, some of the youngsters, certainly Dallas Goddard's going to be a factor in that passing game. And then, like I said, like four running backs, all capable of doing everything. So they're deep, they're young, 
They're well-paid. I mean, the offensive line is considerably well-paid. And really, it's just, if this guy can handle it all, we're going to pay him $150 million guaranteed next year because he becomes eligible next offseason. So I, everything's trending up for Philadelphia in that regard. They just got to hold the fort. They really do. And with Dallas you know, going backwards here, Washington is just an eh, and the Giants are kind of eh with them. You know, Philly's got a real chance to run the gamut here in the NFC East, in my opinion. And, and I really like the way they're set up from a roster construction. So good to see A.J. Brown, who got tossed out of Tennessee for, I mean, it's literally, we're trading you and drafting your replacement with the pick we get, and then you can go get your $100 million. Well, it, it looks pretty darn good in that regard for one of those teams. Let's put it that way. And last but not least today, I didn't want to be doing this, but it's important to do this. Um, I kind of buried the lead here a few minutes ago with the Baker situation. It's really unfair for us to hate the Browns, the players on the Browns, because of everything that went, went on this past six to eight months here. Yeah, the, the Watson stuff, and you know my opinion on this, I, I don't get it. And just from a contract perspective, I'll never get it. But 99% of the other moves they've made in the past two to three years, whether it's drafting and extending their own, acquiring players via trade, big-time free agent splashes, proper releases, right? Getting rid of guys that maybe five years ago, that, that those regimes said, we can't do it. We've got too much invested. We've got to get this done. They just have pushed a lot of right buttons. And just how nasty that defense is has been completely underserved this offseason because of the Deshaun shit. They are very, very well-built, well-built, well-constructed. They're deep defensively. Their secondary is top three, in my opinion. Certainly paid, right? But top three. Miles Garrett is a legitimate candidate for Defensive Player of the Year, and he will be every year. They're deep on that D-line. They have spent oodles on an offensive line that, you know, to me is still underperforming. At any point in time this season, they could just figure it out and get it right and go on a huge run. They're still running the ball, even though everybody knows they're going to just do nothing but run the ball. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are, I don't know, is there a better one too? The Dylan and Jones stuff look good. You know, Madison and Cook look good. There's a, there's a decent amount of one-twos, but I, I don't know how you even look past this one without considering it. And again, this might be the last year for that with Kareem Hunt looking to get out of here. Everybody knows what they're about to do. They didn't even use Njoku as a tight end option yesterday. I think it was one for seven or something like that. And Brissett is, is just managing games. Now, he's not going to be able to do this for 11 weeks. Okay, they're not going to be eight and three in his regime, in my opinion. But if they are, it doesn't have to be because of him. It, it can be because that front office has done basically everything else correct. And I don't know that they can beat Baltimore I think they can hang with Cincinnati right now because of the offensive line woes there still. But I do think that we have to give this team some credit. It's important. If you, are, if you are a fan of roster construction, if you're a fan of team building, cap construction, all that stuff, they've done a lot of things correctly and really turned a corner for an organization that just couldn't figure any of this stuff out for over a decade. So... Try to put the quarterback stuff aside. I, I'm, I'm doing that here, but I watch them on a weekly basis and I assess some of the values and the, and the teams and things like that in a, in a bigger picture and a grander scheme. 
They've done a lot of things right, and they're going to win games because of it, in spite of, <laughs> right? Deshaun out for 11, Jacoby in for 11, and going from there. So I want to give credit where it's due there. I do think the Dolphins are going to be in this conversation next year. I really do. And whether that's with or without Tua, to me, is moot. I think that team is going to be deep enough, maybe not to compete with Buffalo. You know, again, this could be like a, you know, the Ravens are here, the Bills are here, but there's a clear number two right now. And by the way, with Deshaun, the Browns could certainly jump up to Baltimore's level. But I think the Dolphins are in this conversation for next year. They, they have got, they got deep where they needed to get deep. They have a lot of the right options, you know, making this swing for Tyreek. It's not the dumbest thing ever. I think it was a year early. I think they had to let some other things jealous, especially that new offensive line. And Tyreek may take some time to get, get moving, you know, moving a little bit in that offense, but he's not going anywhere on that three-year guarantee. This is the team I'm going to be looking at next year. But the Browns are here. And what's crazy is, by doing this Deshaun thing and knowing that the suspension was coming, you basically torpedoed the year. This was going to be your year based on contract structures and windows of contention and all that fun stuff, right? Rookie extensions. This was going to be the year. And Baker was so bad that you had to throw him out after the fact, basically torpedo him the last week of last season. But he was so bad that he was never going to be the guy even in the year when the rest of the roster was totally ready to go. I think it's a massive, massive mistake. Now, I know you, guys like Deshaun Watson don't become available every day. They don't. And they took a big home run swing on this. And I hate it. Most of the world hates it. Browns fans probably love it because they know that at the end of the day, this guy's going to be on the field. And if he's 95% of what he was two and a half years ago, a lot of people are just going to shut up and watch football. But this was supposed to be the year that they really take that step forward. And it's not going to be the case now. And that's a disservice to really good front office work, a really good roster, and a lot of really high caliber players that are going to be in all pro conversations and things like that at the end of the day. So it's a love-hate situation for, for a lot of reasons from a, from a geeky roster management perspective. I just want to give this, this kind of credit where it's due because I think Tampa Bay deserves that. I think the Dolphins are going to deserve that. There's some Baltimore that I really, really love. You know, the Chargers, to, to some degree, I think their coaching is going to be a problem still. But front office stuff, that's a team that made a ton of front office gaffes, whether it's draft, whether it's trades, whether it's bad contracts. They had two decades of just kind of really struggles in that regard. And I really do think they have a roster now that's top three in terms of talent. They're right there with this Browns team, with the Bills team you know, with the Rams to some degree. So I'm looking at it from, from that scope with those glasses on. Depth, construction, contention, you know, those are the teams I'm looking at. And I just, I hate that the Browns did this to themselves. They, this was self-suicide. They knew this was coming. They knew the suspension was coming. And they're punting on this year. They really are. And I think this is a team that could look a little bit different next year because of it. You know, some guys are going to jump ship. Some important players are going to jump ship. And we'll see if they can retain enough to, to, to become legitimate contenders in this division and this conference, which is only getting better and better every single year. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Lamar Jackson stuff on the way out here. This was what we expected. You know, I did some projections. We talked to Joe Corey about it a little bit. 
everybody with a sense of, you know, the contract idea kind of thought it was going to be all or nothing. And either Baltimore was going to say, fine, we'll fully guarantee this thing, or Lamar was simply going to do this, which is say, doesn't matter what the offer is. If it's not fully guaranteed, I don't want it. And he's taking a really stubborn stance, and I don't blame him. I think it's a good stance to take because it's important. And look, there's some divisional stuff here, right? There's, some, there's a lot to this. But I think it's important that somebody go after this Deshaun Watson contract and say, look, it's absolute bullshit that this thing's hanging out there and nobody's really looking at it and talking about it anymore. And if we, if we continue to sign contracts that don't rival it, it's just going to be this thing sitting up there in the sky. And we don't have to care about it as much. We should all care about it. We should all care about how freaking bad it was, right? And how, and the reason it exists, the reason it exists is because there were four teams trying to do this in a situation where nobody should have been trying to do this. And because of the, you know, the supply and the demand situation, Cleveland had to go 19 stories higher than anybody else was going to get this thing done. Well, that doesn't mean it should never be done again. Okay, because if one team was willing to do it for a situation, why wouldn't another team be able to be able to do it for the same position for a similar player with just as much credentials, if not more, you know, MVP playoffs every year? Why shouldn't it be done for him? Now, if he had an actual agent, okay, if he had one of those CAA, CAA quarterback agents in his ear right now, would they be telling him this? No. They would not be telling him this. They would, be, they would be telling him, you're being a little bit too stubborn here. We got to let that Deshaun situation just fizzle out and go away because 31 teams aren't going to do it that way. The Browns did it. They hate it. They regret it, I promise you. But 31 other teams are never going to do it that way. Now, that's a loaded situation because the agent's saying that for a couple of reasons. A, it's correct, okay, for the most part. And B, $160 million guaranteed on a $290 million contract offer is a lot of money for that agent. And that's just good common sense. So the agent wants that contract signed. Yes, $200 million fully guaranteed is more. But $160 guaranteed or whatever it was, it's a lot of coin for both, for both sides there. So while I'm happy that Lamar is doing this, because, you know, Letting this thing play out, fifth-year option, tag-tag, $122 million, it's probably just fine for him. Still generational money. But I also really like the Baltimore Ravens. I like almost every move they've ever made from a draft perspective in terms of the, you know, the Aussie Newsom to this, this regime. I like how they hold their guns. I don't love their contract structures. I think they're a little bit too uh, anti-player. In a, in a world where players have been able to really grasp a lot more power. So they're going to have to break a little bit here, in my opinion. And it sounds like, by the way, with this offer, they did. It sounds like they gave almost four years fully guaranteed here to Lamar. So I hope this does at least loosen them up a little bit. And I hope this, this relationship doesn't fracture because there's a big part of me that thinks we're heading toward a situation where he gets a an exclusive franchise tag next year, which means he's staying because he can't negotiate elsewhere. But somebody comes in and offers four first-round picks for him on that exclusive tag because what's $45 million to a team that needs a quarterback? You know, I, I think there's a chance that we get there and that Baltimore has to at least consider it because 
they are a bit of an old school in this regard. They are not. We haven't seen them go all world on any contract. In fact, they fill their, their edge rushers with kind of has-beens on minimum deals. They've done it for three years now. The Clayus Campbell trade was one of the most brilliant moves in, I think it was a fifth-round pick. Guy's still playing. So, you know, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, they've been doing this for quite a while now. So they're not afraid of prominent positions being underpaid on their roster. They're looking for guys that just want to go out there and play and are willing to take their offer. And that's, they've, just, they've earned that. You know, there's a 20 years of Patriots that have certainly shown them how to do that. But I think they're going to have to bend quite a bit on this one. I don't believe it's going to get to the fully guaranteed status. So, so which side bends first? My guess is Le, uh, Lamar is simply saying, tag me, deal with that cap hit, and or start listening to the trade offers that come in. Because I do believe that there will be one or two teams out there that throw a big, big trade offer for Lamar Jackson next offseason. And that's when it gets fun. But it's wait and see because it's uh, shelved for the next few months. Now it's just go out there and win football games, which is certainly what he did against the Jets yesterday. All right, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.